You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning, everybody. It's great to see everybody here today. Glad you made it a point to be in church. And we're going to continue on with the series, The Gospel of Matthew. But I've changed the subtitle. The subtitle has been uh, Following Jesus in Chaotic Times. And now we're changing the emphasis to Renewing Hope and Purpose. Because the Gospel of Matthew is actually divided in its theme. And one of the things that's highlighted in the last part of the gospel is the issue of hope and purpose. And so I'll be preaching on this all the way through Easter. We'll be covering uh, on Easter Sunday the, the resur- death and resurrection of Christ on the account of uh, on Matthew's gospel. But today we're going to read a familiar scripture, but we're going to start with the scriptures that precede it. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word? And I think it'll become very evident. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. And uh, we want to read this together. So let's all begin. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Holy Spirit, I know that you know the language of our heart. I know that our mind can hear the words that are being spoken. But God, I know that there's a spirit language that goes to the very core of who we are. And that's what I pray is active today. I pray that as people hear my voice as I speak, More importantly, I pray they hear your voice inside speaking to them about where they are and what you have to say to them. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Be seated. So as I said, we're continuing on with the Gospel of Matthew, but changing the emphasis, calling renewing hope and Purpose, Because this is the last part of his gospel, which he really switches the emphasis here. Early on, he was talking about the teachings of Christ, who he was, how you can know he was the Messiah. He continues that theme, but he also begins to introduce the idea of renewing a person's hope and purpose. Why? Well, let me give you some, some thoughts as we get into this. Dealing with loss is a part of life. If you live long enough, you're going to suffer loss. Uh, Family members pass away, friends pass away, we lose jobs, we lose purpose sometimes, or some things in life can happen, health can disappear, financial setbacks, all sorts of things of loss can happen to us in our life. It's just part of living. 
And so loss, though, can affect our, our purpose. It can affect our hope. And navigating this is part of a normal part of life. You know, we, we hopefully are, choose, are teaching our children that, hey, when you play sports, somebody wins and somebody loses. You know, there's a reason we keep score. I, now, I will understand there's a sensitivity. At what age do you enter? I'm going to leave that to you as parents when you think that ought to be done. But at some point, you have to help them to go, hey, this is how we act when we win, and this is how we act when we lose. Losing and loss is a part of life. It happens. But from time to time, some losses can destroy a person's hope and purpose. Sometimes the loss is so deep, it is, it is such of a magnitude, that a person can completely lose hope. They, they stop trying. They have fall, I use this idea. They've, used, they've fallen into a pit. They can't see reality. All they see are the walls of the pit. They look at the height that, of the walls and go, there's no way out of this for me. So their whole perception of reality is, is suddenly distorted. You can tell them about what's possible, but that's because you're not in the pit. But they can't see that. And the other part of that is, is when you're in a pit, you lose purpose. It doesn't matter what your life has been about. At that point, you just want to get out of the pit. But if you stop trying, if you stop reaching, if you stop hoping, now your purpose is even gone. And, and I say, some people can get into a mental battle to where that the voice that they use to talk to themselves, and I say this, all of us do a self-talk. We all talk to ourselves, okay? We can do it out loud, we can do it in our head, but we all have this voice that we talk to ourselves about what's going on. And if you're not careful, that self-talk can go destructive. And it'll start telling you this. Why try? Who cares? There's no hope. It doesn't matter. My effort, I got a bad break. Why does everybody else get the breaks? Why don't I get the breaks? It doesn't matter how much effort I put into this. Nothing's going to change. Nobody can, and you suddenly find that your greatest enemy is your own talk. And you have to be careful. Some people's, like I said, their loss is so deep that it, it, it destroys their hope and their purpose. And before you can even talk about let's get help, it's all about we need to get back in the picture that there's hope and there's purpose here because without hope and purpose, you're not going to go anywhere with them. And so you, you try to work with them. from. And I just say this, if you've lived any length of time, we've all suffered loss. And, if you're, and you probably can recognize this. If you're not careful, you have a voice that tries to take you to those dark places. And you just have to go, I'm not going there. I choose not to go there. But some people, their resistance is gone. Maybe they've had repeated blow after blow after blow after blow. And they're just finally, I'm just tired of fighting this. I'm just tired of trying. And they give up. Can I tell you the verse that we read today is for you? you say, really? Yeah. This that verse that we read to you is directly speaking to your context. Because I want you to know that our faith as followers of Christ sustains our hope and purpose in the face of loss. No, as a follower of Christ, I am not insulated from the pain of life. Now, I can say there's some pains in life that won't happen because Jesus helps me make good decisions. Right? But there's no such way as if I live a perfect life, all will be well. Well, then how do you explain Jesus getting crucified? He led a perfect life. Okay, 
So there's, no, there's not this, if, if I do everything right, I'm insulated from pain, I'm insulated from suffering, nothing will ever, bad will ever happen. No, no, that happened. Read the Bible. Bad things did happen to good people. But what you find is, is their faith sustained them. Their faith was an anchor and it guided them through the problem so that the problem didn't become a noose that stole their life, that choked them and destroyed them. Because remember, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? You're going to have, the thief is going to show up and try to do that. And sometimes you've got to recognize when you're in a spiritual conflict and recognize the resources that God makes available to us. So followers of Christ, know this. Our faith helps us in the face of loss. It doesn't prevent loss. It helps us in the face of it to know what to do, how to respond, and how to manage ourselves. But the people that the Gospel of Matthew were being, uh, that Matthew was writing to, they, didn't, they thought they had those, those, those anchors in their life, and they found out they didn't. Because I've shared this often in every message that I've done, but I want to just, again, say this to get everybody back on the same page. These are people who are devastated. The devastation was so bad that their nation ceased to exist for 2,000 years. This wasn't a setback. This was total annihilation. So we know this. Again, text without context can lead to praying. The verses that we're reading today are good verses. Maybe you've ever, maybe you found yourself in your devotionals and you, and you were exhausted, you were tired, you read that, and you went, well, there's my second win right there. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, I will give you. And can I say, that's okay, but there's actually a deeper meaning of what was being spoken there. If you'll take the time to put yourself in the mindset of these Jewish people, it says a lot more than what you're getting out of that in the devotional. And I didn't say it was wrong, I'm just telling you there's way more to it. That's what I want to bring you in on today so that you can understand the depth of what this scripture says. Because like I said, most people have never taken the time to go to the verses before. They just go to those particular last verses. I, will give, I don't know, Americans just love that phrase, I will give you rest. We all go, thank you Jesus, I receive that right now. I receive it. I mean, you don't, you don't even know everything is being, but that phrase sticks, right? I will give you rest, I receive. Especially people who have to stay home with children all day. I will give you rest. Oh, well, that means those kids are going to be taking a long nap today. So text without context leads to pretext. So I want to take, I want to take us into actually what was going on in the minds of those who were the recipients of this writing. I've said this before. In 64 AD, Rome was burnt to the ground and the Christians were blamed for it. And they're being slaughtered by the thousands, put into the arenas, for entertainment, to be killed. Some are being crucified, burned, burned alive on crosses. Then six years later, General Titus for the Roman army shows up at Jerusalem and he destroys the city. When I say destroy, I mean absolutely annihilated the place. And the Jews were there celebrating Passover. And so he was basically able to break the back of the Jewish people. Over a million Jews were killed. Now you can imagine the disillusionment of the Jews. They're there to celebrate God. And of all the times that God should have defended them, it should be while they were there to worship him. And God let Rome win the day. And a million of them were killed, and those who survive either go on the run or they become slaves and are taken back to Rome. 
total disillusionment. Where, the, the big thing is, and where is God? God was supposed to have our back. And like I said, this wasn't a defeat. This wasn't a conquer. This was annihilation. The Jews would never go back to that land as a nation until 1948. It was annihilation. These are the people that Matthew is writing to. And by the way, it got worse. In, in 79 AD, we read that the port city of Pompeii was completely destroyed by a volcano. So the destruction was just piling up on it, just world events, just over and over, just piling up. And so here comes Matthew, and now, so he's, he's shown who Jesus is in his gospel, and now he starts to speak to hope and purpose, because these folks have lost hope and purpose. What's purpose? We don't even, we're not even a nation. We don't even know where we're going to live. I don't know if my relatives have survived. I have no idea. We are literally on the run. Purpose? I'm just trying to get a meal today. That's my biggest purpose, they would say, is just get a meal today. I don't know what my next move is because I don't know if Rome's going to continue to hunt me. So what do, you, what do you say to people like that? What do you, how do you say, God is for you? And they're like, really? Uh, have you seen what happened? All of a sudden, the cliches are out the window. You better have actually something to say. And I love this because, again, if you'll look at your text, you'll notice it's red letters. So this is Jesus saying. So this is almost like Jesus was prophesying. So let's break down these scriptures, okay? Number one, read it out loud. An attitude of praise to God sets the stage for hope and purpose. So the first thing that he brings up is what Jesus, notice it says, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. The first thing he brings up is Jesus said. So he brings up the fact that this must have been said out loud. Jesus, it doesn't say Jesus thought. It said Jesus said it. He said it in a way that obviously Matthew heard it and captured it for us. So this is not praise that is, you know, well, God knows my heart. No, this is out loud. So one of the things about praise is this, is we engage our will and we engage our mouth. The uh, other, well, yesterday we were watching some of the NCAA, and uh, wow, talk about a lot of upsets. Poor Virginia, poor Purdue, poor Kansas, everybody's just going down. And, you know, but I was watching the teams that were beating those teams, and the fans were going nuts, you know, and they were showing crowd shots, and they're doing this. And I mean, I saw full-grown men, I saw grandfathers, grandmothers, and they're, you know, they're, they're, their hands are up, and they're singing, they're chanting, and they're, because they finally said, we, we were supposed to lose, we were supposed to lose big, we're in position to win it. I looked at my wife, and I said, you see those people on TV acting all crazy like that? Notice all the age variations. She goes, what about it? I said, half those people would feel uncomfortable lifting their hands in church. But let a basketball bounce the right direction for them, and they go nuts. They're singing songs that aren't even their style. <laughs> it's amazing what you can tolerate when you feel like a winner. Okay, did you get my drift? Yeah, Jesus spoke it out loud. And what did he say out loud? He refers to 
God as his father. So the first thing he does is he speaks relationally. That there is a relationship between me and God. He is my father. And then he says he's also my Lord. So it's speaking to authority. Right here you have a model for why we praise out loud. We need to praise him that he's our father. We need to praise him because he has the authority. Yeah, we should lift our hands. Yeah, I need to use my mouth. I shouldn't, I shouldn't just stand there. I should vocalize. Jesus was not afraid to vocalize. So it all begins with giving praise to God. See, it sets the stage. If I can't be thankful, I'll never find hope and I'm never going to find purpose. Hope and purpose all begins with being thankful to God in spite of whatever's going on in my life. I'm loving it today. Number two, read it out loud. Humility facilitates hope and purpose. He says, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children, yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. You have to understand, he's writing to Jewish people, and they are, in their opinion, the spiritual giants of the world because they're the ones who serve the true God, and everybody else is serving a pagan God, an immoral God, all these other gods, these humanistic gods, and they are convinced they, when it comes to spirituality, they're at the top of the food chain. Jesus says you've got to become like little children. This is a repeated theme that you see over and over in Scripture, but probably the best thing I can give you as an example is the story of Nicodemus in the Gospel of John where Jesus is having that private conversation and it's recorded for us. Nicodemus was an authority figure. He was a religious expert. He is a guy that went around Israel. He could hold conferences and people would show up. But he notices something different about Jesus and he's having this conversation. And Jesus says something to him that gets his attention. He tells Nicodemus in the end, he says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. He says, what do you mean? i got to get back into my mother's womb? He said, no, 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 no. He explains to him about spirituality. You must be born again. Nicodemus, everything that you know, your theology, your, your authoritative insights, great. Man, that's magnificent. But when you come to God, none of it counts. Because what he's saying when he says little children, he's referring to people who realize they cannot save themselves. Can't do it. I can do a lot of things in life, but what I can't do is save my soul. I can't do that. I need Jesus to save me. I can't can't of myself do. I can ask, I can confess my sins, and he says that he'll respond to that, but there's no works that whereby I can do that. And so it's in spite of what I know, in spite of what I can do, it doesn't matter. And let me just say this. I'm not being anti-educational. I know some folks are new today. Let me just say, I'm I'm pro-education, man. I'm I mean, I've got my master's, I got my doctorate, I teach for the seminary, I've taught at another college, so I'm not Mr. Anti-Education, but that's great that we have diplomas, it tells us what we've learned, it tells us about accomplishments in this, but what you start to realize is this next sentence, God's kingdom does not exclude smart people, but rather those who trust in their smartness. How's that for a new word, smartness? think of (laughs) 
There's nothing wrong with being learned. There's nothing wrong with being able to have insights. There's nothing wrong with being able to facilitate more activity or direction because you schooled and you learned and you got diplomas and degrees, certifications. I think those are good things. But when it comes to salvation, there's no education that can save you. You find that the ground all around the cross is level. Nobody's higher because of accomplishments in life. But you know what? Nobody's lower because of a lack of accomplishment. It's just level ground. For people who have accomplished much in life, that's hard for them to swallow. Because what I know should count for something. Well, it does. It can be used in the kingdom for His purposes, but it can't save you. Only Jesus do that. And He says, you're going to have to become like a child. God, I can't help myself. With everything that I know and everything that I can do, I can't do it. Your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness is the only hope I've got. With all that I know, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness is my only hope. Amen? Number three, read it out loud. Divine revelation imparts hope and purpose. So in verse 20, notice I still haven't gotten to come unto me, all you are heavy. I'm not even there yet, right? This is all setting the stage for that. Because if you don't have the right mindset of how God's activity works, then you don't understand how that verse works. Then he goes on to say, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. How's that for Christianese? Right, you're, you're going, okay, yeah, amen. Because it's in the Word, amen, I agree. See, here's the thing. We don't have the questions they did, so we're not sure what question it's answering. See, unless I know what the question is, I don't know what that answers. It's nice. I, I can't really say I pick it apart and know. It's just one of those verses that unless you know what the question was, you really can't understand what's being said. So what was the question? Jews love God. They just did not like the fact that Jesus was being told, they were being told that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the son. So good with God, not taking Jesus. And he says, all things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. He's basically telling him this. The reason you can't rebound is because you've decided God's here and the Son is over here. You'll take God, but you won't take the Son. And you don't understand. That's not an option. Because they come together. They work both on your behalf. You need both of them. This is what happens when you try to do life without Jesus being active in your life. So he says, you want the Father? You get me. You get me? You get the Father. But you don't have option C, I'll take God, leave Jesus off the plate. How does that translate to us today? Well, we're not... Most, most Christians in America and Western civilization, we're all good with the Father, we're all good with the Son, but I'll tell you what, this is redefined for us today. There are still a lot of people who are holding out on the Holy Spirit. 
See, some of you just went, oh, he's there. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was coming. I knew it. I knew it. Now I go, and you are my point today. <laughs> we think we can divide off the Holy Spirit from God the Father and the Son. And then in the same breath go, I wonder what's wrong with our nation. Where's the activity of God? Well, most American Christians have divorced themselves from the work of the Holy Spirit. What do you expect? The Holy Spirit was sent to continue the ministry of Jesus. You say no to the Holy Spirit, you are shutting down the activity of God. And what do you get out of that? What we have. That's the fallout from trying to pick which parts of God you like and which parts of God you don't like. It's no different than what the Jewish people were doing with God the Father and the Son. Except we've just moved on to a different, a different arena, but it's the same principle. Let me pick what I like about God. We think Christianity is cafeteria. I get to slide down the line and take what I like and walk away from what I don't like. But in the end, it's all going to work out. No, it's not. That's not how this works. You know what? There's a lot of things about Christianity that makes me uncomfortable, but I trust him enough to live through the uncomfortableness. I will tell you this, God's got a better history than I do. So why would I want to start doubting him now? So divine revelation, listen to me, divine truth must be divinely perceived. There comes that point there are no more facts for you to learn. There's no more education. There's no more study. It is the fact that God reveals himself. Now, our culture has a phrase to, to say this without getting spiritual. We call it aha moments. You know, it's when we read something and all of a sudden, something that we've read many times and all of a sudden we connect the dots and we go, oh, and you're like, I've, I've read that a thousand times. And you probably have had this in your devotional life. You're reading a scripture or you're reading a, a book and you're trying to get to a, 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 so much reading done in a day and you read something, it's like the brakes are slammed on, you read it and you see something and then you start to research it and then you start delving into it and then you find out you haven't, you know, done what you said you want, but you were, you were chasing this rabbit trail. Why? Because you were having an aha moment and you were so excited and you went and told everybody about your aha moment and they went oh that's nice you're like why can't you be as excited this is like awesome this is, should turn your world upside down and they're going yeah that's good I, I think I told you that three weeks ago what happened you had a divine moment where it was divinely revealed to you it wasn't something that connected in your head. It was something that finally connected in your heart. There are some things that you cannot know until the divine shows up. I got to tell you as a pastor, I've had this from time to time. I feel a little compelled to say this right now. Because there's probably people in this room who are thinking, how do you know so much about my life? Who told you? Yeah, all these people in the room and, it look, and you feel like I'm talking to you. Yeah, because I am. You don't know who I am. I know that, but the Holy Spirit knows who you are. And he has zeroed in on you 
and you think you can hide yourself in a crowd, and you feel like the spotlight is on you this morning. Well, it is. But it's not one of these lights up there. It's a different light. You're having a divine moment. God is talking to you. Even as I'm speaking now, thoughts are racing through your head. How does he know? I don't know. The Spirit knows this. It's not, you have to understand. See, that's the Jews. They were trying to figure it out all on the academic, on the academic field. And all of a sudden, they found out their academics about God could not even beat the Roman army. Now what? What do we do with what we know when what we know has not worked? Now there's divine revelation that is coming. So number four, everybody read it together. Hope and purpose is found in Christ. That's what he's setting up. Now, I got to tell you, I had this all ready to go last night, and I got up this morning, and I went through it, and found out way, I got way too much to go through today. So I had to like shave this thing down like really a lot. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going fast because I've ran out of time. I'm just going fast because I knew I needed to consolidate. So it's not my purpose to go flying through this next segment. This is my last point, but it's a long point. But I want you to catch... Now, with all that setup I've given you today, I want you to catch what these verses now say. He says, come to me. He's telling the Jewish people, it is up to you now to take the initiative towards Christ. This is not about Christ coming to you because he has already come. And you said no. This is not about where God, this is not about you saying, where are you, Jesus? This is Jesus saying, well, where are you? And he says, so you are now at the precipice. You have to take the initiative. It is now in your court to come. Don't be saying, where are you, Jesus? Jesus is saying to you, well, where are you? Then he says, come to me, all you who are weary. The Greek word, and I don't have time to get into all the details, but basically it's showing us weariness was an internal exhaustion. And then when he used the word burden, that was an exterior uh, exhaustion. So put your mind, put yourself where these Jews are. Yeah, they're exhausted internally and externally. Their nation has been annihilated. Many friends and relatives are dead. They don't know where to go or what to do. And Jesus said, I'll take you. But the ball's in your court. You're externally worn out. You're externally worn out. And notice this. He says, I will give. As a result of taking the right initiatives, Jesus says, I have something to give you. If you'll take the right initiatives, if you'll make the right moves and come to me, I'll gift you. What is he gift? He says, I'll gift you rest. This is talking about Spiritual refreshment, renewing a person. See, their faith has been annihilated. Everything that they believed, that God had their back, and God was going to come through, and God was going to do it, and God didn't do it their way, and so their faith is shipwrecked. Jesus says, I will renew you. I'll refresh you. He goes on to say more in verse 29. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and you'll find rest for yourself. Can you see how a bunch of Jewish refugees would hang on these verses? I mean, they would literally be hanging on this. Again, he says, take my yoke. So again, initiative. This is not just sit back. He says, take. Notice he says, take the yoke. Take my yoke. Well, what was a yoke? A yoke was something that was put on animals that was used to either pull a cart or plow a field. And he says, Christ has something for me to pull. What? You said rest. You never said anything about pulling nothing. See, we misdefine the word rest. We think rest means I get to sit back and do nothing while everybody serves me. No, that's not how that works. He said, I will give you rest. What? Spiritual renewal. Spiritual refreshment. And he says, now take my yoke. In Deuteronomy, you got to understand, the Jewish people coming out of Egypt were a bunch of slaves. So there was not a lot of know-how on the basics of life when you're slaves for so many years. Right? It's not like you get up when you're a slave and send your kids to school. It's, it's a whole different. So here they are now. They're a nation. So when you read the law, you read some really basic stuff. It's kind of like, well, what does that have to do? You got to understand, this is being written for people who don't know what to do because they've been prevented from being allowed to learn what to do. So it says in there that when you hook up the yoke, not to mix the animals. You're not allowed to have one kind here and another there and then pull. Why? Because it would make the yoke unbalanced. And the yoke would blister the shoulders of the animals, which would make them angry, which would make them unmanageable. Which means the person who's managing the animals could get hurt. If anybody here is in livestock, you understand that when an animal's in pain, you better be careful. And so he's saying, don't do that. Okay? We don't, we don't need a bunch of accidents. And here he says, I have a yoke. Now get this. I have a yoke that won't blister you. My yoke. Then he says, learn from me. So that means I have to have the initiative to study the word. So this is not, I'm saved, I punch my card, one and done, see you later. No, this is talking about lifelong learning. I need to stay connected. And then he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. So he's saying, I need you to put on this yoke. Notice it says, take the yoke. So in other words, he's not going to put it on me. I'm to pick it up. And he's saying, but here's this. I'm gentle and humble in heart. God says, I'm not a taskmaster. I'm not about beating you senseless to get you to do things. I want you to do things because you want to do them. And he says, I want to bless you. I want to be... I want you to be obedient, but I'm not going to beat obedience. I'm, gentle. I'm, I'm not the guy managing the team and slapping you with a whip. That's not me. I'll talk to you. I'll give you instruction. instruction. I'll give you correction. But I'm gentle and I'm humble. And again, he says, you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that interesting? When I get Poland what he's created me to do, life gets good. When I pull and do, he created me to do, 
Life is good. And I don't get blistered. Because you've ever run it. I think we all know what it's like to run into somebody who's been blistered in life. It can be an awkward conversation. And then the last part of this in verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He kind of summarizes it. What he's saying is this, my yoke. Christ has something for me to do to pull. He has a responsibility. This is not sit back, wait on the rapture. Sit back and wait till I die so that I can have my eternity. No, I look forward to either one of those things. But the point is, God has an activity for my life here today, now. And I need to trust him with the responsibilities that he gives to me. That they're not designed to blister me. He wants to bless me because he goes on to say that it's easy, that it'll fit. Yeah, I know I'm working, but it fits. It's good. I like it. I enjoy it. It doesn't mean I don't sweat. It doesn't mean that I don't stumble and have frustrating moments. But in the big scheme of things, I know what I'm doing and I like what I do. And I like the people that I do it for and with in life. It's good. Do we have frustration moments? Sure. But they're not permanent. They're things that we work through. If you know anything about a yoke, you're going to get dirty. But that doesn't mean I have to be blistered. Oh, come on, man. That was like an aha right there. I've been holding that up all service for that. People get angry because, well, Well, that's work. He just said you wouldn't be blistered. See, if it's just dirt, I can wash that off and I can come back again tomorrow. But if I get blistered, I need days to recover. And the dirt can infect me. So I want to praise him. Hey, thank you for letting me do what I do today. Looking forward to doing it again tomorrow, the next week, the week after that. And then he says it's light. Talking about in weight. It just means I got, he's going to give me something I can pull. He's not going to give me something that sacks me, that buries me, that kills me. He's, he's going to give me something. I can, and I, again, I go back to, do you understand he's talking to people who have no hope and no purpose? And he's saying, it's because you've been trying to do this without me. But I want you to know when you come to me, I do have something for you to do. It's going to be way better than what you've been trying to do. Let me just wrap it up this way. God has an activity for your life. He has a purpose for your life. If you forget everything else that I said this morning, if I, if I, if I, could, if I had you one-on-one, I would say, look me square in the face. Look me in the eyes, I would tell you. I would tell you this. It matters to God what happens to you. It matters to God what happens to you. It matters to God what happens to you. Nobody else wants you, He'll take you. He'll give you hope. He'll give you purpose. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's all stand to our feet. Can you do that? And can we do for the next 30 seconds? Would you just lift your hands? I want you to praise Him that He's a God who has hope and purpose for you.
for your life, for the people associated with you. Come on, let's give 30 seconds of praise. Come on, just like Jesus, out loud. Let's say it. Come on, praise him.